It's delightful to be here. As Alan says, I'm, uh, I've become a friend of Ken, and so I've heard a lot about you. And it's good to, uh, just to be able to come and see whether you really are as nice as, as he says he is. So uh, I'll reserve judgment on that till I, I see him at lunchtime. But uh, delighted to be here, coming over from the west of England, and delighted to be in Chichester. Uh, my wife Maggie and I, we came down yesterday and just stayed here overnight. What a, what a wonderful place. Uh, you live in. But the first thing I really want to say to you is uh, thank you. Uh, Thank you this morning. Thank you uh, as the church, Chichester Baptist Church, for sharing Ken uh, with us across the Baptist family during his time as the Baptist Union president. Um, On the back of that, I guess I, I ought to say that if you're unhappy about the amount of times he's away and not around, I'll probably be around the the welcome area afterwards. So you can complain to me, um, because I I confess I was one of those. I think there was many of us, but I was one of those who encouraged Ken uh, to uh, stand for this role. And you won't necessarily see, very few of you will be aware of the significant blessing uh, Ken has been and is being in many places and many churches, many groups of leaders across our Baptist family. And uh, that's, that's true for me personally, but I know it's true. Everywhere I go, uh, where Ken's been, I hear, oh, Ken's been, and, and what a great blessing you are. So I want to thank you because uh, you've allowed him to exercise that wider ministry among us. <clears throat> but that's something of the nature of God's grace, isn't it? Actually, it's in the nature of the gift of God's grace, where whatever it is, however, whatever shape it's in, that we receive a blessing that has got the grace of God on it, it's of its very nature, it's given to us, not that we might keep it to ourselves, but that we might share it. Uh, And in a sense, that sort of keys in very much with the passage that I just want to share with you uh, this morning. It's Luke chapter 10. And uh, I guess if you've got a Bible, does it appear on screen? No, no. So if you've got a Bible, you're going to find that useful. And uh, let me just get that passage up for you. So, uh, well, before we read that, I just would invite you to pray with me. But hands up who's got a beer map this morning being given out to you, okay? And, and hands up who's got a tea coaster or a coffee coaster. So... Uh, It's just helpful to get the measure of the kind of congregation we're dealing with, really. Um, But uh, you've told me something about Chichester Baptist Church already. But uh, so thank you for that insight. But this uh, this beer mat or or tea coaster, uh, remind myself, uh, has what we call our discipleship cycle on you on on it, and uh, it's got four words on that: listening, uh, looking, living, and learning. I'm on a bit of a campaign to help as many of us as possible get beyond simply listening. Uh, That's something we do well on a Sunday morning, for example. We do well in our small groups and our home groups. We do do listening really, really well at our courses and our gatherings and our meetings, don't we, as Christians. But uh, God wants the word that you are hearing from him, that you are listening to. He wants that to take root in you and get beyond listening. So uh, that's a little gift uh, from me this morning. Uh, On the reverse of that, you've got four questions that I commend (coughs) to you. 
that you can use for any passage of the Bible. You can use them on your own, in the privacy of your own home, when you're reading Scripture, and you can use them in small groups. You can use them in a whole variety of ways. But hopefully uh, that will be of help to you. So I pray that God will bless you. And as you listen, you will go on and look to see where he wants, whatever seed of his word he's He's speaking to you to be planted, whether that's something in your own heart that needs to change or, or to be en, en, increased, or whether that's something that go and you go and take as a gift and offer to someone else. And then, of course, with God's Word, and we'll come to this in a few moments' time as well, it's not just that we listen and we understand and we think, oh, that's marvellous, isn't it? That's great for them. But we actually have to do something about it. It's there to be obeyed. We're called to be servants, those who are faithful servants of whatever God is calling us to be and to do and where he calls us to go. So we need to live that out. That's the third L there. And then some of that, some of you will know that that word we use as disciple, we're disciples if we're followers of Jesus, actually means literally to learn. And so at some point when we've tried to obey what God said to us, we just need to sit back and say, well, What's becoming part of my life? Not what have I learnt in a classroom environment, but what am I going to embody? If it works well, we do it again. If it doesn't work quite so well, we just pray again and say, Lord, how do you want me to adjust what I thought you were saying to me next time around? But uh, in order to just get into that, we're going to use Luke 10 this morning, and I'm going to read the first uh, few verses of that. But before I do that, let me, will you just pray, pray with me? Pray that God might speak to us all through this passage to the point that by the time I get to the end of this passage, if I were to ask you, and don't worry, I'm not going to, if I were to ask you which bit of this stands out the most for you, which verse or word or whole sentence is grabbing your attention, let's pray, shall we, that God might speak something in particular for each and every one of us this day, that we might be a little bit different when we leave this building than when we came in. Lord, we thank you for your word, the Bible. We thank you for the myriad of ways in which you speak to us, for the way in which you're able to take just a a few words this morning and speak something in particular to each of us as individuals. As we listen for your voice, we ask that something in particular would grab our attention and that you might use that to speak something more and to build something more of your likeness, the God that you are, the saviour, the gracious and compassionate God that you are into me. In Jesus' name, amen. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, And do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. 
If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal those who are ill and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Just take a moment or two and allow something just to focus in your mind or settle on your heart. Okay. Well, let's just see what God will say to us as individuals from this particular passage this morning. Do you ever wonder uh, where you fit in? Some of you, with, uh, particularly with children or grandchildren, or those who, like me, just like reading children's books anyway, uh, will be familiar with Where's Wally. I don't know whether anyone can see Wally from where you're seated this morning. I, I couldn't even see him without my, my reading glasses if it was six inches in front of me. It's, it's difficult, isn't it? But uh, you're familiar with that, sort of Wally's somewhere there, in amongst the crowd, easy to not get lost, difficult to find. And I wonder whether that's how you feel. I'm not going to ask you whether you feel a bit like a Wally this morning, but whether you feel like Wally. Do you feel that somehow or another you're lost in the crowd? And I know sometimes, because I've been part of larger churches most of my ministry, that sometimes in a larger church it can feel like you're, you're just a number. You're just one in a big crowd. I know Maggie and my wife, I'm pretty sure that she will say when we're driving home later on today, she will say how lovely it was to to be worshipping again in a larger church that's so full of life and so full of vitality with such a lot going on and so much happening. Because right now we've moved to a little village and so we've got, got, well, we've just got 21 members in our church. So I guess back home in Chew Magna this morning, there'll be 24. It seems wherever I am preaching, whenever I come back and say, how many were there this morning? Uh, which is one of my failings. I always ask that question. Um, it always seems the number is 24. But it's wonderful to be part of this, isn't it? It really is. It really is to sense that you're not alone, to hear the voice of, of a good crowd singing the praises of God around you. But do you ever feel a little bit lost. And in a sense, I'm not really asking sort of where where you feel in terms of where you are in the church, but to use that as a bit of a sort of key in really to wonder, well, it's not just a question of where I am in terms of where do I fit in in this particular church, but where do I fit in in the global, the grand mission of God? I don't know about you, but it's easy to look at yourself and look at what you bring to the table and think, well, I don't really have much to bring. I haven't got a lot to offer. So I'm just glad for people like Ken and Ellen and whoever else it is that you look to and think, I'm just glad that they're doing the stuff in my name as well as in the name 
of Jesus. But the reality is, and I think this passage brings it into very sharp focus, uh, in, in my version of the Bible, it says Jesus sends out the 72. In some, some versions of the Bible, it says the mission of God. And it really highlights the fact that it's not about where I fit in. It's about the fact that I've been called to be part of something much bigger than whatever I can be. We've been called to be part of something much bigger than whatever the rest of us collectively are able to bring. And I think it's important that we all understand that we are part of it. That it's not something that happens at the front on a stage, but it's something that we're all included into, we've been called into, we are all a part of. And I think it's important to try and just identify for ourselves, it is, because what am I doing here? We need to find the answer of that. I put down here, the Lord appoints. It says, the Lord appointed 72. It's Jesus. It says, Jesus appointed 72 others, and he sent them out to every town and place where he was about to go. It should really be the mission of Jesus, headed up in my Bible, I think, because that's what we've been called into. That's what we're a part of. And it makes a difference for me when I go out those doors at the end of an occasion like this, if, if I think it's just down to me, if I think, Nigel, it's just down to you to connect with, to share the love of Jesus with whoever you meet this week, and it's down to you, however well you share that, and however good your life stands up as to whether they're going to respond, I'm going to go out with a real heavy burden on my shoulders. And I've done that. I've done that over the years, time and time again. But if I go out there with the sense that I'm being sent out, I'm being commissioned by Jesus himself, not to find my mission, but to find my place in his mission, to carry his name, to go in his name, and to know that he doesn't just go with me by his Holy Spirit, but he's already planning to go and to be And in terms of this passage here, I take that to mean with the people that I'm going to be with, that you're going to be sitting at a desk alongside at work, or you're going to be standing in the queue with, or wherever it is in this coming week. It makes a big difference to me. A few weeks ago, well, months ago now, just uh, before the summer, I was out, as I usually am, Uh, As Ellen said, I'm a team leader of the West of England Baptists, and so I'm out, usually different church, uh, three out of four Sundays, Around And I was in a church much smaller than this, but uh, I, was, I was introduced to a young woman with three children just before the service started by an older lady there. And she introduced him to this lady. She said, oh, she's from Iraq. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I said, oh, perhaps we can have a chat afterwards. And after the service, I was talking to her. She got her three children around. And this guy comes into the entrance hall. Smaller version, but like yours this morning. He comes into the entrance hall, and he hadn't been in church, and I just got talking to him. It turned out that uh, this guy's name was Hemid. He was the a husband of this woman and the father of three children. He usually came to collect them, to take them home. And I got chatting to him, uh, and it wasn't very long into the conversation when I discovered that he'd spent two years since he'd been in England uh, talking with the Jehovah's Witnesses. 
And he said, uh, I asked him, I said, are you still meeting with them? And he said, no. He said, he said, and I asked him the question, why? He said, well, they couldn't answer the questions that I had. I said, tell me what they are. And they were just the, just the questions that I'd suggest to any Christian. If Jehovah's Witnesses came along knocking on your door, I'd say, well, ask them these questions because they won't be able to answer them. And he, and he went through them. He said, he said, they can't ask my questions about Jesus. He said, they can't ask my questions about uh, the, the Trinity. He said, don't understand it. And so I said to him, I said, well, it sounds to me as if you've got a few questions about God, but it seems like you're really searching to find the reality of who Jesus is. And he agreed. So I said, look, if I go and I ask someone from the church here, I said, would you mind if they just come round and help you ask your questions and, and try and help you and your wife work through them? And he said, that'd be good. So I went back into the, into the main body of the church. And admittedly, a number of people had gone home. But I explained the situation very quickly and said, oh, is there someone here who just mind going around to this couple? They really want to ask some questions about Jesus. Nobody. Well, they hadn't got a minister. He was coming in the summer. So one person said, um, well, when Steve gets here, perhaps we'll ask him to do that. It's not his real name, by the way, in case anybody works out where I'm talking about. That wouldn't go down very well in the West of England, would they? Uh, but, uh, you know, we haven't got a minister. Another a woman said, said well, I, I'm a woman, and, you know, I think it would be appropriate if there was a man there as well, so I couldn't go. And, and they just went round, and I thought, I'm getting nowhere here. Now, that wouldn't happen here, would it? Wouldn't happen here. Wouldn't happen here because Ellen's here and you'd ask her to go. No. <laughs> now, the good, the good news is I do know that that couple are being baptised this Sunday morning. So that, that's good news. But <laughs> the bad news is I ended up doing it. Uh, and it wasn't from that church, but I, I, just, I couldn't go back and tell them no one's able, feeling able to do that. Um, so I just went back and said, look, you know, how about if you give me your address, would you mind if I come and see you? And we, we went through a few things and one, one way or another. But the bad news is, I, I just didn't get the sense that that group of people I spoke to had any confidence to do what I was asking to do and any real sense that they could be part of leading this couple to know the reality of Jesus. I want you to know that you're included. And I think Jesus wants you to know that you're included. I hope they do it different at schools these days, but some of you will remember those times of the way in which we used to pick sports teams. And, and it was invariably football in the playground, and you used to get two people out the front, and they used to pick alternately who was going to be on their team and you lived in dread that you were going to be left to last. Or worse still, not even wanted. Or you got to the last five and say, well, you can have them five because I'm not interested. Or that kind of thing. But if there's words that sprung to your mind that grabbed your attention from this passage that are questioning you whether you feel that you're part of this, this big mission of God, you need to know it's not about being picked for a team in church. You are picked, you are chosen, you are called, 
by Jesus himself. Well, let's move on. Let me ask this question. Where are you in the key focus of the mission of God? Why am I here? Why am I a Christian? Why am I part of this church? Why am I doing what I'm doing? All those kind of questions. I think it's really important. There's an easy answer given here. If you read through this passage quickly, it starts off, the Lord's appointed 72 others. Who are they? Well, they're people like you and me, aren't they? If you, if you just look back, if you've got a Bible with you, to, to Luke chapter 9 and, and read through the first verses of that, it says there, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out, drive out demons, cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal those who were healed. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there, eating and drinking, if people do not welcome you, move on from that town, etc., etc. Read it through in the quietness of your, your own uh, space. And, and the words, the beginning of chapter 9 on the one hand, the beginning of chapter 10 on the other hand, are almost exactly the same to the very detail. Go, don't take stuff with you. Meet those. If they welcome you and they share peace, you go in and you spend time with them. One major difference is, chapter 9, Jesus sends out 12. And in chapter 10, he sends out 72 others. Where did they come from? Well, I think they came from chapter 9. I think they came from the the 12 going out. So by the time one chapter later, not long, there's 72 others. And Jesus sends the 72 others and presumably the 12 again. 84. In other words, it's just people. And it's everyone, isn't it? It's every day. It's everywhere. It's you. It's me. It's today. It's tomorrow. It's whether I'm with friends. It's whether I'm with family. It's whether I'm with work colleagues. It's whether I'm just rubbing shoulders with an acquaintance. It's wherever we are. I think that's what This 72 others is shorthand for. It's just making the point. Some of these, presumably new followers of Jesus, how long have they been Christians? Well, I don't know how long it takes to write one chapter and the next in the Bible, but we're talking at the maximum weeks. Absolute maximum. In other words, most of you if you're a Christian this morning, will have been a Christian longer than all of these that Jesus sends out. How much would they have known about Jesus? Well, most of them have got it second-hand, haven't they? Because it's the 12 who told them about him. It's It's the 12 who introduced the kingdom of God to them. And now they're back and they're hearing probably from Jesus for the first time. And what's he doing? He's sending them on a discipleship course for a year before they're allowed to do anything. No. He's sending them out on the real mission to announce his kingdom, it says, to every town and place where he is about to go. Just get a hold of that. You might have become a Christian last week. This might be your very first Sunday as a Christian in this particular family of God. You feel like I did when I first became a Christian. You know next to nothing about what's going on. You just know Jesus is real. And at the end of this morning, he's sending you out to announce the kingdom of God wherever you go, 
whoever you're with, and guess what? He's going to be with you because he wants to be with the people you're going to meet as well. Now, this is just such a privilege, isn't it? Such a, such a privilege. Those of you who are Christians, I don't know what it was that you first became aware of about God, but I've thought about this since I became a Christian. The first thing that I knew tangibly about God or the first part of God, his nature that I experienced, was the peace of God. I was, I was only 16, but I'd been sort of wandering around in a bit of a fog for two or three months. Uh, I wasn't part of a church or anything, but I got to the point and I was saying, is there a God? If there is a God, come down and appear before me and I'll believe you. And, and all, a whole load of questions like that. And basically, he didn't do that. And it got to the early hours of one morning and I was trying to get to sleep. I couldn't get to sleep. I was wrestling with these questions in my mind and in my heart. And I got to that point. It was probably about 3 a.m. And I said, okay, Jesus, if you exist, here's my life. If you can make of it anything, here it is. Words to that effect. And there were no angelic choirs, but I became aware of what I couldn't have described as then, but would now describe now as the peace of God. I became aware of the peace of God. And basically, the next thing I knew is I went to sleep. Now, the next day, I went round to my next door neighbours, who I knew went to a church, and said, can I come to church with you on Sunday? Because I just knew I had to find out something about this Jesus that I knew was real, but next, knew next to nothing else about. The peace of God. Now, last year, period last year, last springtime, uh, I had a period when I wasn't very well. I was ill. I was, off, I was off in my terms for light years. I was off work for six weeks. And, and it wasn't very serious in the grand scheme of, of, of medical history and at the end of it, and no sort of, you know, big issues arising. But as a result of it, I had two blue light rides in an ambulance. And on one of those occasions, I had what I could only best describe as a near-death experience because that's, I kind of instinctively knew that's what it was because I've seen them. Have you seen how they've tried to portray those things on DVD or the TV and programmes? And, and, and they've tried to make them up from what people describe. And it was just basically this brilliant white light in the centre uh, and light surrounding it and surrounded by what I could just describe as a lush, typical English meadow. Lush green grass, uh, bright white daisies and, and buttercups. I'm not certain they were buttercups, but they were definitely yellow flowers. And it was this kind, and I, was, I kind of had that sense that I was being drawn towards it. And in, in that sort of split seconds, I was thinking, oh, this, this is okay, I'm going to heaven. And simultaneously, I was thinking, Lord, I didn't realise I was as ill as all this. And in that moment, for only the second time in my life, I heard the voice of God in a way that I know it wasn't audible, because I know the guys in the ambulance didn't hear it, but it, it, it was as if it was audible. And it was as if the Lord was saying, you're not going there yet. This is just so that you know it is all true. Your job is to tell others. And although for the next three or four weeks I felt pretty rough and unwell, I knew as a result of that moment, that split second, that actually... I wasn't really troubled about what was going on with my body. Everything was fine. 
It was the peace of God. The peace of God again. And that reminder that my job as a follower of Jesus is to share that with other people. So read that story again. I would say there's only two types of people you find in this story. There's those who have received peace, the followers of Jesus, the 72 and the 12, and there's those who need to receive the peace of Jesus. They're the people who the 72 go and they're announcing the kingdom of God is here. How do they find out who's ready to receive the peace of Jesus? How do you and I find that? Well, you, you read this bit, verses 5 to 8, and you sort of knock on the door, and if they receive peace, your re- peace returns to you, and if, if they don't, no, if they don't receive it, it returns to you. If they do receive it, one thing and another. It's a bit mysterious, isn't it? But look at it in another level, and it really is how we build friendship, isn't it? In the Middle East to this day, in many other Eastern countries, the peace of God is part of the the natural greeting. The literal words are their peace, as we would say, hi, how are you? It's there every day. And that's how we first meet someone, isn't it? By exchanging greeting. Things might go on from there. You begin to discover that you've got things in common with something. You, you get on well. I would say that was my friendship with Ken. There was a sense in which we were both Baptist ministers. can't really remember how we met, but there was just something there. Yeah, I like this guy. And he, he, you know, we built a friendship from there. We don't see each other very another, but we just get on. And that's how it is with some people, isn't it? Whether they're Christians or not, you just get on well. And there's that interchange And in this particular story, what happens is they invite the followers of Jesus into their home. Isn't that a sign that you've got a friendship with someone when they invite you into the home? We've always asked people around for meals in in our married life uh, over the years, and uh, it's a way of getting to know people, isn't it? And, And what do they say when they go home? Just the same as what we say when... We go right around to someone's home, just as you're going out the door, they say, oh, you'll have to come around to us next time. You know the reality, don't you? Some do, some don't. But you, you get to know some people. And I think this is Jesus kind of saying, look, this is how it's done. This is how you'll find out those who are open to my peace will be those who are open to you. Those who will begin to welcome you It's the beginnings of welcoming me. I think it's Jesus, not just permission, but his commission to go and make friends with people, to build friendship in the name of Jesus. And then just to wrap up with, where are you in the primary strategy of the the mission of God? Let me just ask you one question. There's 12 Disciples Jesus sends out in chapter 9. There's 72 others in chapter 10. How many does Jesus send out in chapter 11? Ellen, you're looking at your Bible. You know the answer's not there. It doesn't tell us. But 12 into 72 goes six times. 72 others... 504. It's a lot of people. It's more than we are here today. 
It's just an indicator that the mission of God is going to spread not because of Christian ministers alone. You know what we do in church, don't we? We get a load of people together and we appoint a few people to do a few jobs. That's division. What we're reading about in Luke chapter 9, 12 becoming 72 and 72 beginning those who will reach the ends of the words is multiplication. Now multiplication only happens if each and every one of us are involved. You will find that transforming work course that's going to be put on really helpful in your place of work because it will show you and encourage you how you can be for Jesus announcing his kingdom Monday through Friday or whenever else you work because most people seem to work all over the place these days. You will find the frontline series that you're doing on Sunday evenings here at the moment affirming to say that you are on the front line and you know what? It doesn't need a few of us. It needs every single one of us. He sent them two and two by two to every town and place. What it means is going against how we might feel. It means accepting responsibility, doesn't it? It's saying, actually, who might be the only Bible some in my street, in my family, amongst my friends will ever read? And drawing the conclusion, me. Jesus says the workers are few. And sometimes it feels like you're the only one, doesn't it? You might be the only one in your family. You might be the only one in your place of work. But accept the responsibility along with the privilege that Jesus is with you. It means being vulnerable, doesn't it? Jesus says in verse 3 and verse 1 that he sends us out like lambs among wolves. Now lambs, when they've been had by a wolf, are not a pretty sight. But it does say wherever he was about to go, that's where he's sending you. You never forget that the Holy Spirit is with you and that Jesus is with you. It means being available, eating and drinking, whatever they give you. Don't move around from house to house, Jesus says. Well, there's nothing I love more than sitting down eating and drinking with some good friends. So to me, that's a privilege. For some of us, we might find that hard, but it's just being available to say yes. When people say, come into my space, don't tell them you're too busy because you've got church stuff on. Say yes. It means wholeheartedly trusting. No purse, no bag, no sandals, Jesus says. Don't take those things with you. I don't know about you. I think that's good news. Jesus says we don't have to wear sandals to look like him today. But the serious point is we don't need the props. We don't need the things we think we need to be equipped to be the person Jesus wants us to be Wednesday evening or Friday morning. It means we need to just simply rely on him. Can I just pray for you? And perhaps those of you who are leading worship, you want to get in your place and while we do this. But let's pray. Lord, help us to leave this building this morning overwhelmed with a sense of privilege that you've included me in not just to a bit, but the key part of your mission to make the kingdom of God known wherever you send us. Help us, Lord, to go knowing that we do not go alone, 
And so we pray now that however we feel we've wasted opportunities or let you down in the past, we pray now that you would fill us afresh. Fill us afresh by your Holy Spirit. That those things we need to pay attention to that would help us to become and therefore look more like Jesus might be dealt with by you. And help us to know that because you go with us, when we open our mouths and we think we don't have the right words, we can trust you and that you will fill them. We pray also your blessing on those sitting around us. Pray that you would do and continue your work in them, that they would go for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.